welcome everyone. I'm Kim Christensen, and this is the Peaceful Productivity Podcast, where I share strategies to help you get the most out of your time and feel better in the process. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this special episode of the Peaceful Productivity Podcast. Today, I would like to welcome my friend, Monica Parkin, to the podcast. Monica is an award-winning speaker. She and I actually met in Toastmasters. She's also a workshop facilitator and a speaking instructor. She's presented internationally for audiences in Vancouver, South Africa, London, and Asia. I'm always really amazed, Monica, and we'll get into this a little bit more, but amazed by all of the things that you do and your accomplishments and all of the responsibilities that you juggle. I understand that you're the director of community engagement for a mortgage company. You're the reproduction consultant for a veterinary hospital. You're a homeschool mom and a hobby farm owner. Did I get all of that correct? You did. Yeah. Although this year I am finally not a homeschool mom. All my kids are in regular school this year, but yeah, I think you got that. You are such a busy lady. It's no surprise that you have a podcast of your own called Juggling Without Balls. You're now the author of a best-selling book titled Overcoming Awkward, The Introvert's Guide to Networking, Marketing, and Sales. This book really hit a note with me as an introvert and a new entrepreneur. So I'd like to talk to you more about that today. But first, let me welcome you to the podcast. Welcome. Thank you, Kim. I am super excited to be here. This is great. I was just saying I haven't been on this side of the seat. I'm usually the interviewer. So it's kind of fun to be interviewee today. And I'm looking forward to our chat. I'm so excited to talk to you. I just finished your book, by the way, and it was amazing. I knew it was going to be great because I'm an introvert and I don't know if there's a scale of introversion, but if (laughs) there is, I'm like above a hundred percent. If you left me alone, I would be happy just being by myself all of the time. That's not to say that I don't value connection. I think that's often misunderstood about introverts. What I really appreciated about your book was a reminder about how to make authentic connection in the context of your business, but also just the advice to just connect with yourself and be more in alignment with yourself on a day-to-day basis. Tell me more about the inspiration for the book, just to kick us off. Yeah, well, I was going to say too, you surprised me when you said that you're an introvert. People are often surprised when I say I'm an introvert. So it's funny that we have this misconception that introverts don't talk to people or they're not able to get out and speak or be confident because that's not necessarily true. It's just sort of a different way of interacting with the world. Because if I'd been asked, I would have totally said you were an extrovert. And sometimes that's what people think about me because I've got my hands in so many different projects, but it's actually that relationship building component is a skill that I've had to learn. When I first started out in my industry, one of the things we had to do was go to a big event and I was just terrified. I didn't know where to put my hands, where to look, who to talk to. I actually went out and hid in my car until someone that I knew came by and I almost actually quit. I almost said, I can't do this. If this is what's going to be required of me, I can't do it. And in the process of working through that, I started calling up other people in my industry that were really smart people and said, what are you doing? How are you getting your business? Because this traditional way of getting business, going, handing out cards, networking, and I'm putting this in air quotes when I'm talking, it doesn't work for me. 
they all kind of had the same answer. They all said, just be yourself. And it really, it made me mad. I was like, what do you mean just be yourself? Like, this is useless advice. I can do nothing with this. But I had to kind of sit with it and I had no other advice. So I thought, well, I'll just try it. And so I just started to try to be more me instead of just talking about, because I'm in the mortgage industry, interest rates or advertisements or locking in your variable rate mortgage. I started to just be me. This is me cleaning the goat barn. This is me driving my kids to hockey. And people started to reach out to me, not in the come shake my hand at an event kind of way that was scary for me, but just little messages. Hey, I saw this or I saw this thing. I thought you might be interested. And I started to build little connections one person at a time. But when you're doing that four and five times a day, all of a sudden your network just starts to expand exponentially. And it feels small because it's one person at a time, but it's actually it's a real authentic connection. It's not this fake connection. It just became a really powerful thing for me. It's so amazing. And I can relate so much to receiving that advice, just be yourself and feeling frustrated by it because I got that advice a lot when I was growing up. I was a total bookworm. If given a preference, I just wanted to be in my books. And when it came to making friends and the advice, just be yourself, Well, that was really tough, especially as a teenager. I think it wasn't until I became an adult that I started to really appreciate my own quirkiness and that of others. And what I'm most interested in is your decision to actually embrace that advice versus just pass it off as another cliche. What changed for you there? And I think I talk about this in the book that I kind of said to myself, well, I'll just try it because what's the worst thing that can happen? I'll just try it. And if it doesn't work, then whatever, I'm back to square one, but I'm going to be willing to put myself out there and to try it. And what I did is I showed the world a part of myself that that no one ever seen before that I kept sort of hidden my little quirky weirdo self because that's how I thought of it. But it turns out people like quirky weirdo Monica, you know, like she's unique. She's original. She's not just the same thing that everyone else is putting out there. And I think when we do, when we get authentic and we show people who we really are, they connect to that. You can see right through a fake profile and a fake person. But when someone's really real, and by real, I mean like I blew up a spaghetti squash in my oven and it was everywhere. It was in my hair. It's on the counters. It's everywhere. And someone was like, why would you put that out there? I'm like, because that's me. Like, that's what day in my life. This is what happens in my world. And the funny thing is that people actually really connected to real me rather than the me I was pretending to be. Yeah. In addition, what I'm realizing, not just putting your quirkiness out there, those unique aspects of yourself that you really embrace. It's also putting your stumbles, your mistakes out there and being okay with that. Can you talk a little bit about how you got more comfortable with that? Yeah. That vulnerability factor. Someone had said to me, sometimes I see you get a little vulnerable. And when you get vulnerable, it actually makes me want to get to know you better because I hear my story in your story. Even when I put the book out, I had like a week where I was like, maybe I should just go away for a week and hide because like, I'm getting really vulnerable here and it's really scary. But as always, whenever I get vulnerable, the feedback is so positive. So, you know, it's the emails, the messages, I related to this, you could have been talking about me, whatever. It's scary to be vulnerable, but when we're vulnerable and we share our own story, other people hear their story in it. And it just builds this little spark of connection that maybe you wouldn't otherwise have. Oh, that's so true. You and I are both in Toastmasters and I don't know if this resonates for you, but the moment a speaker gets vulnerable, 
and forgets the canned speech, the scripted lines, and just speaks from the heart is the moment I'm drawn into whatever they're saying. Yeah. And I think I learned that skill in Toastmasters because it was a very small group at the time. We maybe had eight people and it's called an icebreaker speech where you talk about yourself. And so for my icebreaker, I decided, you know what? It's a really small group. I know these people. No one's going to judge me. I'm going to get just a little bit vulnerable. And I think that was the first time I'd ever done that. And the feedback was so overwhelmingly positive. That's what gave me the confidence to go out and do it again, because people didn't go, oh my gosh, you shouldn't have shared that. It was very positive feedback. And so that's what kind of gave me the courage to do it again. And then every time you do it, you get that little kick, like that little positive feedback, and then you feel comfortable doing it again. And then you just gradually more and more often, bigger and bigger and bigger until really your vulnerability is at the core of who you are and why hide that, right? That's who you are. Yes, you really do exemplify that in so many ways. And I wonder too, if the reason why you're able to pursue so many different interests and all of your passion has a lot to do with that alignment with who you truly are and what really inspires and motivates you. What do you think about that link between vulnerability and the ability to pursue your passion? You know, I would say there is a link. I don't know if it's the vulnerability piece, but it's the lack of fear piece. Somewhere along the way, I let go of the fear of judgment, fear of making a mistake. And I started to see every challenge as a gift. It's an opportunity to learn. So I don't think, am I going to fail or people not going to like me? How's this going to go? I just think, wow, what a great opportunity to learn something, to add something to my knowledge bank. I want to try this. I've got this thirst to, to learn new things. When I was younger, I wouldn't try new things because I was afraid of the judgment. Now that I've let go of the judgment, you know, what other people think of me is none of my business. It's so easy now to try things because I'm not holding on to that. What if I fail? There's no such thing as failure. It's just an opportunity to grow. It's a mind shift, I think. I really think that's the key to peaceful productivity. The ability to experiment, just try things out, pursue your passions and not worry about making mistakes. You just go for it. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think you're right. I think it's focusing on the journey rather than the outcome. Like whenever I focus on the outcome, I end up disappointed because I don't always hit the goal post exactly. But when I focus on the journey, if I take a little detour, if I take a little side road, I'm like, oh, wow. This was an amazing thing. Like, look what came out of this. But if I'm focused on the outcome that I'm just like, oh, oh my gosh, I'm on this detour. There's this roadblock and I get all frustrated. But if I just focus on the journey, the sights, the things I'm going to see along the way, the things I'm going to learn rather than this set goal at the end, then I'm open to all the possibilities that come my way, being open and willing to try something new. And if it doesn't work, no big deal. And if get something great out of it, then awesome. I add that to my toolkit. Oh my gosh. I think that's the secret to it all right there is creating enjoyment through the process rather than waiting until some imaginary finish line to actually enjoy what you're doing. Yeah. And you and I have talked about this before too, like even in people's careers, rather than focusing on when I'm going to retire, finding joy in the moment, in the process, in the tasks, so that there's joy in every moment rather than waiting for this delayed imaginary joy at the end of some time that, you know, you can't see around the corner. You don't know when that's going to come, but finding joy in, in every moment is a much more fulfilling process than not delayed gratification, but delayed joy. You're putting it off. I'm going to, I'm going to be miserable now so I can be happy later. Why not just be happy all the way through? Oh yes. You just sparked something for me. Delay the gratification, instant joy. <laughs> nice. 
What do you think about that? Like I flip like it, it around. Yeah. I like yeah. it. Yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah. You heard it here first, people. No, for sure. You get full credit <laughs> for that one. That's awesome. Okay. So now if we can take a little bit of a left-hand turn and talk about the nuts and bolts of your day, because as a productivity coach, I am fascinated by people who can take an idea and translate that into action. I think there's a lot of us that have really great ideas, but to actually change that into action, and you talk about this in the book too. So you have some processes around communication and keeping your commitments to people and setting boundaries, which is amazing. And then how do you balance that all with the pursuit of enjoyment and getting things done? How does that work for you? What I know is that I'm really good at hitting the big goals, like the big stuff. When I've got a big idea, I am on it. Like it's the only thing I can see. It's right in front of me and I just want it so bad. I will just go for it until it's done. What I do struggle with still, and and we've talked about this before, I'm ADHD. So I, I struggle with the little things through the day. So if I've got big things to do, I can knock those off. No problem. What actually strikes more fear into me than anything and causes me like a knot in my stomach is when someone says, well, what's a good day next week? Or what does next week look like? Because I literally never know what next week looks like until it gets there. And because I wear all these different hats, you know, someone will say, can we do three o'clock Wednesday? And I say, yeah, I think so. But then when three o'clock Wednesday comes, a vet clinic might call and go, hey, we've actually got an emergency surgery and we need you on board for this. And then I have to drop stuff, shift gears and move to that. And I haven't actually figured out a solution for that yet. But certainly in terms of big stuff, I will block away part of my day. Like when I was writing the book, I knew that I needed an hour a day. So I would get up early and that hour before the kids went to school, I would do it. And then I'd block off another hour, which meant turning off my phone, turning everything off, all distractions. In terms of fitting all my little tasks into my day, I really am in awe of people that can do that because I wake up every morning thinking, I have no idea how today is going to go. I'm just going to get through it. And at the end, I'm going to celebrate if it went okay. I have no system at all. I love that you said that. The fact that you do have so many interests and you do get so many things done, you wrote a book in a month. Like you said, you're blocking time off during the day to get those big things done. It's the little things that kind of will sneak up and grab you. Is that how I'm understanding it? That's exactly it. So the big things always get done. It's a little unexpected, like the text from someone saying, hey, can I call you right now? Or can I call you in an hour? Those things throw me for loop. And literally everything goes in my phone. Like even if I need to make a phone call at a certain time, I put that in my schedule. If, you know, picking up the kids after school, that's in my schedule, even though I've done it every day of the year. If the little alarm bell doesn't go off, I'm lost in some other project and I will forget. So I guess my technique is A, everything has a reminder and B, the big things I do, I block off time and say, this is a priority for me today. This has to happen. Mm, That resonates with me. I like the idea of time blocking because when my schedule gets too rigid, then I feel a lot of resistance around that. I actually get less done, but when I have time blocks and I have alarms to like, alert me to the fact that I need to transition between activities. I think that's when I'm most productive. Is that kind of what I'm understanding your? Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. Because otherwise I just forget stuff and I just randomly start going off on a new tangent. 
The other thing I will do when I'm looking at my calendar through the week and I'll go, wow, Monday's super busy, Tuesday's super busy. I think I'm not going to book anything for Wednesday because I know stuff's going to randomly organically come up. So I'm not going to schedule anything that day because otherwise I know it's, it's going to get too stressful for me. Mm, And you also do talk about this in your book around setting boundaries between your work time and your personal time, giving yourself a bit of downtime after those busy times and also protecting your family time or those important times. Yeah, I have done that the last couple of years. I used to be very guilty of working every weekend, every evening, being on the phone, responding to calls. And one of the things I think I talked about in the book is all of a sudden one day I decided, no, I'm not doing this anymore because I would feel every time my phone rang, every time I got a text, I'd be like, why is this person texting me? Why are they doing this? You know, and my husband's like, well, they're doing it because you've been letting them for the last three years. Like they don't know they're not supposed to do that. It's been your normal. And so when I went to lay down this boundary and say, you know what, this is my family time. Don't text me now or whatever. Like I had an edge to it. Like I wasn't, it wasn't coming from a nice, happy, peaceful place. It was like, no, now I'm at my limit and I'm annoyed with you. And I was making my clients feel not appreciated, making them feel like I'm mad at them. So I've done a shift and I've tried to proactively say, listen, if it's anytime Monday to Friday, call me, I will respond to you. If you have a question, I probably won't get back to you on the weekend, but I'll get back to you first thing Monday, Friday night, they text me and they say, can I call you? I say, yes, for sure. First thing Monday morning. So I don't say no, I say yes at this time. Yeah, that really resonates with me as well. Especially as I started working from home more too, I found that just even for my own mental clarity, I had to draw some lines around the sandbox, so to speak, just to give myself some guidelines in terms of when am I working and when am I not working? Yeah. Yeah. And people do that. You teach them how to treat you and you teach them what your schedule is. So if you're consistently available at a certain time, then it's hard to go back and say, now I don't want to be available at that time. And I was just finding that every evening was leaking into family time. My family was starting to get resentful. Like we never see you. You're always on your computers. I had to dial back. And for my own mental health, it was a really good thing to do to know that, okay, it's six o'clock. I'm actually going to put everything away and I'm going to hang out with my family now. And it's that special time for us too. Mm, So great. So I'm also curious, you did mention this a little bit around receiving those text messages, emails outside of regular working hours and what that did for your sense of peace, your sense of well-being, your mental health. And I'm curious, what are those things that you do now post boundaries? <laughs> yeah. Contribute to your sense of well-being and your feelings of peace. Yeah. So I guess one thing is I set the expectation really early on. So I will proactively shoot my clients an update every day or every second day so that they're not coming looking for it. So Friday at the end of the day, the last thing I do is open up my email and send everyone an update and say, this is where things are at. Don't worry, I'm on it. I'll update you again Monday. So because they proactively heard from me, they don't feel the need to be checking in over the weekend. I also let them know that, you know, there's very little that could even be done on a weekend if something came up. But if it's a true genuine emergency, you can call me, but I kind of set the expectation and it takes me an extra half hour Friday. So it's half an hour out of my day, but that half an hour means that I'm not getting calls and texts all weekend long because I've already given them their update. I've told them when they can expect to hear from me again, and there's no loose ends hanging over the weekend when I go into it. I loved that chapter on communication. It was such a great reminder and it really speaks to your philosophy on 
customer service. I have the same philosophy. I call it delivering value. (laughs) It's my productivity perspective. Could you tell us a little bit about your perspective around customer service? And I think what you call the farmer approach versus the hunter approach. Can you say more about that? Yes. So farmer versus hunter. So the thing is when, you know, when you start out as an entrepreneur or someone starts out in like commission sales role or something where you're really dependent on the volume of your sales, the temptation is to go into hunter mode, which metaphorically means going out, looking for your food, getting prey, feeding yourself every night, which means getting sales at any cost, right? I'm going to talk you into this deal, whether it's the right thing for you or not. So the good thing with that is in the short term, you get really busy and you do lots of volume. In the long term, though, you run out of resources, right? If you're a fox and you're raiding chicken coops and you've knocked on every door in your area, you've sold to every family, every friend, whether they want that sale or not, those resources, they dry up because you're just looking for what you're going to eat tonight. If you're a farmer, on the other hand, you're planting seeds and they're going to grow in the future. So you may not do as much business in that first year, but you're building authentic relationships. You're doing the right thing. And what you're going to generate from that is these long-term referrals. Maybe right now you got to work a little harder, but five or six years from now, you've planted all those seeds and they're going to grow. An example that might be, you know, in that first year, I was really kind of starving and someone came in and wanted a mortgage. And when I looked over their paperwork, I said, I'm going to make a great commission on this, but this is not the right thing for you. You're going to pay a big penalty. It would be better if you actually went back to your own bank, even though I'm not going to get paid, do what you need to do, save yourself the penalty and come back and see me next year. Some of my colleagues were like, why would you do that? You're not making any money off of this. You had a sale in front of you. They would have signed on the dotted line. You would have had paycheck in the bank. And I said, well, I want their business for the next 20 years, not just for today. And, you know, sure enough, the phone rang the next week and it's their kid. My mom and dad came to see you last week. They said, you're super honest. Can you do my mortgage for you? And then from that comes another one and another one. And now I don't advertise. I don't solicit business. Business just comes to me because I planted those seeds in the beginning because I chose to be this farmer model rather than the, the hunter model. It's so true. And I can't help thinking that It translates whether you're an entrepreneur and serving customers or you're an employee serving the needs of the business Mm -hmm. and the indirect customer. It's all about building relationships. And it's funny. It reminds me of the story that you told in the book. When I first became an accountant, I did have a vision that I would be kind of alone at my desk, putting numbers into an Excel spreadsheet and just happy doing that. And what I quickly realized is that even as an accountant who works with numbers all day, it comes down to relationships. It's all about relationships. All like about literally relationships. everything is about relationships. Yeah, totally. And so that's why I loved, loved your book, because basically it's a handbook for those of us who are introverts and speaking for myself, a bit of a perfectionist on how to come out of that bubble once in a while and build those relationships without fear of judgment is kind of what I took away from your book. Hopefully. Yeah. In like a really simple, easy way. 
one of my main points is that when we go up to someone and think what's in it for me, what am I going to get? There's no way to build a relationship out of that mind frame. And when we talk to someone with a thought of how can I help you? How can I elevate your business? Who can I connect you to? Then those relationships just organically grow and thrive on their own when we have that kind of a mindset. Building others up. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. So good. I'm also curious about joy. So I've been doing a lot of thought on this lately, and I actually just recorded a podcast on creating enjoyment Nice. and thinking about different experiments that bring me enjoyment. But I'm also curious about your experience with creating joy. Now that you're on the other end of building authenticity in your business and pursuing all of your different passions. What brings you joy now? It's funny because if you'd asked me this five or six years ago, I would have had a totally different answer. Being home by myself, nobody talking to me, that's what makes me happy. But now what brings me joy is actually those connections, you know, those check-ins with people, the hearing about the awesomeness of their day or little bits of connection. It seems like every time I connect to someone, I kind of get this little spark of goodness in me, you know, and I feel better. And that's what brings me joy is being connected to my community, to family, to friends. That's my joy now is how can I add value to someone else's life and hearing their feedback and just connecting to others. Isn't that fascinating the way those things that brought us a bit of anxiety early in our careers are now our source of joy later on is fascinating. Yeah. hundred percent. I have two more questions for you. One is around social media and sales and advertising in a virtual environment. So as a new entrepreneur, what advice do you have for me starting an online business in a virtual environment during a pandemic? (laughs) What are your thoughts there? I think in some ways, so the downside is you're in a pandemic, it's an online business, it's harder, you know, you don't have a brick and mortar store that people can come up to. The good thing is, your reach is limitless. Like you can reach anyone, any part of the world, instead of being limited to maybe the 12 people in your community that have an interest in your product or could attend your event. You can have people from all over the globe. I think that part of that is to nurture those connections, to build those relationships, because that's how every opportunity seems to come about for me. In this podcast, right? You and I met each other in Toastmasters, and here we are on a podcast talking about something completely different. It's so true. I just realized you and I have never met in person. No, never. No. (laughs) We only know those little Zoom boxes of each other. Yeah. Yeah. So if we'd been at a traditional Toastmasters meeting and we would have had to live in the same town because it was virtual, we've got this whole new opportunity that we wouldn't have had before. And I think that's the opportunity for someone that's trying to grow a business virtually is the reach. It's so true. I have had coaching clients from Poland, Hong Kong, Australia. I live here in Canada, of course, people from around the country, and so many from the United States. Like, it's fascinating to me that I'm able to reach and help people from all around the world. It's actually a super amazing opportunity. Yeah. 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 And do you find yourself collaborating with other people in your sort of industry as well online in ways that you wouldn't be able to before? Absolutely. I belong to a coaching mastermind and I'm the only one from Canada out of a group of about eight of us. 
Yeah. And in fact, one of the coaches, she lives in the UK and got married recently. And she invited everyone in the mastermind to attend her wedding virtually. I was able to go to this person's wedding in the UK by the gift of technology. I've never met her in person either. Yeah. Yeah, It's a real gift. You're absolutely right. Yeah. Very cool. So my last question for you is uh, someone who's got lots of balls in the air and doing it all gracefully. What's next for you? What's on the horizon? Oh, good question. I don't know yet. I am just open to whatever comes my way. What I've found is if I try to figure out what my future is, it never works out the way I want it to. But if I just be open and wait for those opportunities to show up in my life and recognize them as opportunities, they always turn out better than anything I could dream up on my own. I just wait for those opportunities to show up and I go, wow, that sounds awesome. I'm going to do that. Whereas if I think about I'm going to do this for sure, then I feel like I get frustrated if it doesn't work out. So what's next for me is to wait for what the next opportunity is and see if it's a good fit for me. I think you've really discovered the secret there. It's an openness to looking at whatever life offers you as an opportunity and the willingness to experiment. It's a magic formula. Yeah. Well, congratulations on everything, especially the book. It's amazing. And again, for those who are interested in it, it's called Overcoming Awkward, The Introvert's Guide to Networking, Marketing, and Sales. If people are interested, how can they reach you and how can they get a copy of the book? Yeah. So uh, one of two ways you can search for it on Amazon. It's on Kindle and paperback. I just finished recording the audible version. So that'll be out mid-December sometime. You can also find me on my website at monicaparkin.ca. And there are links to the book on that page as well. And I'll include them in the show notes too. Yeah. Thank you, Monica, for coming on the podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you today. What a treat. Thank you very much for having me on. I've enjoyed it so much. You're very welcome. Would you like to implement these strategies into your own life to save more time without the stress? If so, join us in the Peaceful Productivity Membership, where you'll find all of the materials and support you need to make the conceptual practical. You can find all the sign-up information on my website at financialwellnesscoach.ca. Join us today and make your strategy your reality.